My name is Brad Kindle. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, we will not be doing Q&A this morning. We will be doing that later uh, in the month. Uh, we are, of course, in December. On your mark, get set, go. Uh, rather, though, than succumbing to the winds of Amazon.com this month, I thought it might be appropriate for us to refocus our brains and our hearts according to the longing of Advent. What in the world is Advent. Some of you grew up celebrating Advent in your local churches. Some of you are thinking, what in the world is Advent? Well, uh, Advent is an annual reminder to remember the coming, the coming of the King, the coming of the Messiah. It's, it is an entering into uh, that very quiet, joyful center of our being that knows our hearts find rest when they find their rest in Him. Hear these words from the great writer and preacher Frederick Beekner. He captures well the mood of this time of year. The Salvation Army Santa Claus clangs his bell. The sidewalks are so crowded you can hardly move. Exhaust fumes are the chief fragrance in the air, and everybody is as bundled up against any sense of what all the fuss is really about as they are bundled up against the wind chill factor. But, if you concentrate just for an instant, far off in the deeps of yourself, somewhere you can feel the beating of your heart. For all its madness and lostness, not to mention your own, you can hear the world itself holding its breath. I love that. For all the madness and lostness, you can hear the world itself holding its breath. That longing. You know that scene when Kids come down the stairs and they see the gifts beneath the tree for the first time. And what do they do? <gasps> they hold their breath. Maybe the longing is over. The gift has come. Hmm. They've waited and waited. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 9.15 says, Thanks be to God for what? For his indescribable gift. What is that gift? Every year, this time of year, we get to refocus and remember the gift. Let's pray before we head any further into what we're doing. Holy God, we are grateful for the opportunity to pause and be still after a very busy week. But we're are filled with gratitude for this past week, God, and we look forward. We hold our breath, longing, remembering, being still and silent right now, hearing once again what it's all about. We hope, we pray, Holy God, that your Holy Spirit, which loves us more than we could ever love ourselves, would open our eyes to truth the truth that you love us, the truth that you accept us, and you long to draw us close right now. 
In your name we pray. Amen. To get where we need to go this first Advent Sunday, we have to go back way before the giving to an actual promise. And that promise comes from Isaiah 7.14. Uh, if you would, why don't you stand and let's read the, the, this simple verse together. Let's read it together. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. You may be seated. Now, we associate those words with Christmas, uh, but the context here of that actual prophecy is 700 years before the birth of Jesus. At this time, the kingdom of Israel is divided, basically. There's a northern kingdom, there's a southern kingdom, there's Israel, there's Judah, and King Ahaz is king over Judah, and Jerusalem is in Judah. And the northern kingdom and the kingdom of Syria are seeking to besiege the southern kingdom. And King Ahaz is a bit in a tizzy. He's a bit anxious. So in walks the prophet Isaiah, who comes to King Ahaz to offer some comfort. Essentially, he says, don't worry about the siege. God has everything under control. God has said he will give you a sign. He will give it to you. He will deliver you. But King Ahaz is actually a man of very weak faith. He says he doesn't want a sign. Well, I don't know about you. I I think if God's going to offer a sign, you should probably say yes. Uh, King Ahaz says no. So God says, I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you a sign anyway, because I'm God. And the sign is this verse. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. Now that word Emmanuel, that name Emmanuel, is a, it's a pretty interesting promise. Why? Because it means God with us. Which is very interesting because King Ahaz and the people of Israel, they were a product of a story. And in the creation story that they knew so well, There was a time where God was with his people, the man, the woman, and God. They walked together in the garden together. God was with them. But then Satan, the divider, enters in and sin, this thing that that, that sin, uh, called sin, it enters in. And here's what sin does. Sin breaks apart that which God longs to be together. The man and the woman, they sin against God, and they have to separate themselves from God, uh, according to God's will. And suddenly, the with is no longer the with. It's now suddenly apart. It's now divided. But a promise had been given to also the woman, Eve, that she once, in her line, would give birth to, To a son, and that son would crush the head of the Satan, the accuser, the divider. So here we are. Fast forward from the creation story to the King Ahaz story, where Ahaz receives that from Isaiah, that prophecy, all the way to the good news story, to the gospel story. A writer named Matthew takes this prophecy from Isaiah and he applies it 
to Matthew, what we call Matthew chapter 1. You know these words. I'll read them for you. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, who was who? Mary, his mother Mary, was pledged to be married to to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet he didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. That's what the name Jesus means. It means God saves. And then Matthew writes, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now what if? What if God is not distant, but actually with us. How would we know such a thing? Well, (laughs) Isaiah's prophecy says that uh, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Oh, okay. So if you're a note taker, you might want to grab a pen and pencil, pen or pencil right now and follow along. So Jesus is, according to this prophecy, God's sign to us. Now, what does a sign do? A sign points to something else. It's a signal. A sign is a signal, of course. If you think of a traffic light, there are two cautionary signs there. There's a yellow sign, a yellow signal, which says, caution, you better be careful. And then there's a red signal, a red sign that says, you better stop right now for your own safety stop those are two signs of course but there's a third sign and the third sign is not a cautionary sign that's the green light the green light's not cautionary the green light is it's safe to move forward everybody it's safe to press on the gas everyone go the sign says it's okay to go now jesus is god's flesh and blood sign A living sign pointing to a living God. Jesus is kind of like a green light when it comes to our relationship with God. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Jesus in closest relationship with the Father, the Son who is himself God, makes God the Father known. He's a sign. So Jesus is God's sign for us. Secondly, of course, Emmanuel, Jesus, is God with us. Now, I want you to hold your breath for a second and go deep. Put on your smart thinking cap because I'm going to ask you to think deeply here. All right? Hang on tight. Ponder with me for just a moment the manner in which God became with us. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and we'll call him Emmanuel. The virgin birth 
that made God with us possible was so important to the early church, they actually included it in their statements of faith, or or what we would call creeds. Um, For example, some of you grew up learning something called the Apostles' Creed, right? The Apostles' Creed begins by saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, born of the Virgin Mary. The church, for centuries, has been saying together that phrase, born of the Virgin Mary. It's a statement we believe. It has become quite fashionable these days to actually disregard the importance of the virgin birth. But actually, if we think about it, the virgin birth is absolutely critical to God's with us plan. You go all the way back To Adam, biblically speaking, hang with me, biblically speaking, we're not sinners because we sin. We're not sinners because we sin. No, biblically speaking, we are sinners because sin is our very nature. Sin is actually a virus that is passed down generation after generation after generation after generation. It is passed down. It's it's the nature that we share. And the Bible puts our dilemma and our hope in a particular way. All right, read read this verse. uh, Repeat this after me. For as in Adam all die, for so in Christ all will be made alive. Very good. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. What the Apostle does in the New Testament is he gives us a picture of two Adams. The first Adam and then the second Adam. The first Adam all die. In the second Adam, Jesus, all will be made alive. Thus, in the virgin birth, the Holy Spirit conceives in the Virgin Mary the one who will bypass in the flesh... The sin of the first Adam. Conceived of the Holy Spirit, not conceived in the generational way.
It was a hot July morning, 2009. The kids were 10, 12, and 14 years old. And my daughter, Kirsten, was outside mowing the lawn. I was eager, eager to get outside and enjoy the beautiful day. I just needed to clean up the breakfast dishes and put a few things away, help Anders and Britta get ready for their soccer games. As I picked up the last remaining items on the kitchen counter, I saw what looked like a birthday card. I picked it up and began reading it. It was at that moment that I discovered that that card, that birthday card, was not intended for me. It was not intended for the kids either. It was actually a birthday card written to another woman. My world suddenly stopped. I could barely stand. My heart was beating so fast, my mouth was completely dry. My mind was racing. I felt as though I was going to throw up. The next few days were horrific as I discovered the depths of the ultimate betrayal. Not only did I experience intense pain, loss, and heartache, but the three kids did as well. They were so confused as to why their dad was divorcing me and now moving out of the house. Our hearts were completely broken. We went, went through every stage of grief. There was anger, there was depression, as well as immense financial hardship. Fast forward six months from there, and I received a phone call from my doctor saying that my routine mammogram had just come back abnormal. He said not to worry, but wanted to follow up on an MRI. On New Year's Eve 2009, my world once again came to an abrupt stop. My doctor said, Jill, the report came back that you have breast cancer and you need to do surgery as soon as possible. Within 12 days of that phone call, I was having a double mastectomy. While lying alone in that hospital room at Abbott, in agony from such a horrible, barbaric surgery, I began to understand the immense pain that Christ must have felt on the cross. I felt beaten, bruised, scarred, while experiencing betrayal, loss, and abandonment. Although, like Christ on the cross, I knew that God was with me. I was able to experience God's presence in such a powerful way. One night, while alone in that hospital room, I just couldn't sleep. The pain of what felt like a two-ton Greek Parthenon column landing on my chest was just too much to bear. I pushed the button for the nurse to come. I alerted that I needed help. As she came to my bedside, I cried and said, Could you just stay here? Just a little bit. Stay here with me for a while. Could you just rub my legs? I knew from her accent that she wasn't from around here. I asked if she could tell me about her homeland. 
Tell me about her parents. Tell me about her siblings. She was from South Africa. As she shared her story and rubbed my legs, it felt so wonderful to have someone with me. Eventually, she was so tired, she fell asleep resting at my feet. I reflected on how God was my Emmanuel, God with us. He was on my side, at my side, and by my side, every moment. I clung to him for strength, for wisdom, for discernment. The peace that came from falling into his arms and resting and relying on him was amazing. He was my husband. He was my Abba father. He was my best friend. I was never alone. And that gave me great hope. My motto throughout my two-year journey of cancer and divorce was, I'm going to praise God in the storm. It was not easy. I did not want Satan to have any victory in any of this. I had to make a choice, bitter or better. I chose better. But God knew I couldn't do it on my own strength. So he put people in my life who could pray for me and for the kids. I met him in his word. I met him one-on-one with a spiritual director. I attended a weekly group at my church called Divorce Care. I met with my pastors as well as continued in counseling. I brought all three kids to counseling, all while going through agonizing attorney meetings, painful expander appointments, and grueling physical therapy twice a week. My parents moved in to help take care of the kids while I recovered. My church surrounded us with meals, gift cards to Cub, house cleanings, and home projects. My neighbors hung lights in the trees in my front yard at Christmas time, while my small group from church redecorated the inside of my home. The good news in this is I had hope throughout my darkest moments. God met me there and assured me that I was not alone, that he loved me, and that he would never leave me. Not only did he heal my heart and restore my life, five years later, God brought Brad to me and me to Brad. Beauty from the ashes. Because God is with us. Knowing that story, it's, uh, I'll just say that's the tip of the iceberg. (laughs) And uh, God was with Jill in such profound ways. So to him be praised. Be praised. And just a reminder, one of the things we wanted to say there is the reminder that if God is with you, that means you are never, ever, 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 
ever alone. Ever. Never. Jill's story is proof Jesus is not only God with us, but a very important reminder that Jesus is God for us. Why do so many people reject God? I think there are all kinds of reasons, but I'll sum them up this way. I think fundamentally people can't imagine that God is for them. And if God's not for me, then I I don't want anything to do with him. But what if he is for us? I've seen the Mr. Rogers movie twice now in the past two weeks. A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. You should all see it. It's worth seeing a number of times. Uh, Mr. Rogers was known to do a very simple remembering exercise with people. He'd ask them to be quiet and imagine the people who've loved them into being what they've become. And so we're going to do that right now. We're going to take 20 seconds, and I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to ask you to simply imagine the faces of the people who've loved you into being who you are today. Go. Whom did you imagine? We imagine the people who are for us. We gravitate toward people who are for us. We shy away from people who are not for us. What if God actually sent those people into your life to love you because God is for you and they're for you? Hmm. What if it's all true? That Jesus is a sign of a gift that has been given. Galatians 4.4 When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, that He might buy back those who were under the law. Under the law there implies basically guilty of breaking God's law. One might wonder what type of giver would set free prisoners who are literally guilty as sin. But what if the giver has given us his very own beloved son to pay the penalty, to buy us back, to redeem us so that not only we can be free, but so that God will be with us in our freedom. And if God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? One theologian I love says God's love is like a river. It just gives and gives and gives and gives and gives. It just flows in giving. That's what love does. It flows in giving. What if the Bible is true? What if God is not a taker? Like maybe some of you are afraid. What if He's actually a giver? 
the giver of all things? What if he has sent a sign through the Virgin Mother that God has literally come for us to be with us? Watch this. May God teach you the meaning of that name, Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, it is wisdom's mystery, God with us. Sages look at it and wonder. Angels desire to see it. The plumb line of reason cannot reach halfway into its depths. The eagle wings of science cannot fly so high, and the piercing eye of the vulture of research cannot see it. God with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. His legions fly apace. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it. Let Satan come to you suddenly and do you but whisper the word, God with us, and back he falls, confounded and confused. Satan trembles when he hears that name. God with us. It is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor acknowledge his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort is the balm of his woe, is the alleviation of his misery, is the sleep that God gives to his beloved, is the rest after exertion and toil. God with us is eternity's sonnet, is heaven's hallelujah, is the shout of the glorified is the song of the redeemed, is the chorus of angels, and is the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. God with us. with a simple question. If God is with you, what would it look like for you to be with God? I can say, I want to be with you. 
And you can say, no, Brad, I don't want to be with you. But if you say, I'd like to be with you too, Brad. That's the first step in developing a loving relationship. And that's what Christianity is all about. A loving relationship with the living God. Rather than saying no, we say, yeah. So, what would it mean for you to be with Him? Charles Spurgeon, whose words we heard in that video, he challenges us. Challenges us. He says, if Jesus Christ be God with us, let us come to God without any question or hesitancy. Whoever you may be, you need no priest or intercessor to introduce you to God, for God has introduced Himself to you. Let's pray. What I'd like to do now is give you an opportunity. If you're here this morning and maybe for some time, or maybe your whole life you've been saying no, maybe today you'd like to say yes to God's invitation to be with Him. The way this begins is very simple. A simple conversation with God we call prayer. The way so many of us in the room did it is we, say to, we said a very simple prayer. I said this prayer when I was 11 years old. And if you'd like to join me in it, uh, it just goes like this. I'll say a line and you can say the line to God silently. Lord Jesus, I admit I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I believe you lived, died, and rose again to give me life. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and empower me to walk with you now into eternity. Amen. Such a simple beginning. But that's the way loving relationships begin. If you said yes today in that prayer to God for the first time, we have a, uh, what we call a yes packet. It's at uh, the blue high-top tables where Jill and I will be after the service. Feel free to come by and grab one of those. You don't even have to talk to us. You can just sneak one. Uh, if you're new with us, we're so glad you were here this morning. We have a shameless free gift for you that we'd love uh, to give you. It tells you a little bit about Faith Covenant Church. Uh, we're grateful you were here this morning. We pray that you would join us on the rest of the journey in this Advent season. Would you please stand? We're going to take a retiring offering uh, as you exit today. That retiring offering is not for my retirement. That is actually... That is, not, that is for our Benevolence Fund, uh, which goes to help support the, the needs within individuals and families, uh, especially within our church community, but sometimes outside of our church community, especially this time of year when things get tight for people. So if you can help out with that, uh, please give. I have uh, a benediction I'll give. Oh, before I give that, there will be some people down front who'd love to pray for you as well. Hear this. Faith Covenant Church, be people of hope. Let hope live in your heart and share the hope of Christ with everyone you meet this week. Share hope by noticing someone else's beautiful God-given humanity. 
share hope by listening well and valuing their feelings and their story. Share hope by praying for them in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this Advent season, be the people who feel the good news of Jesus Christ and then share that good news through words and deeds so that when people see you, they see Him. Have a great week. Amen.